So what I want to talk about today is found in 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read really two versions of these verses. It'll be verses 17 and 18. 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. They're the last two verses of 2 Peter. So I'm going to read the New American Standard version first, because that's probably what most of you guys have, but then I'm going to read one from the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, because I think it's a, probably more of a helpful translation, but verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3. This is Peter, he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Then verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And I'm going to read it one more time with... Uh, the legacy standard translation that says verse 17 you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand be on your guard lest you having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen I want to start by just talking about something that it's very obvious that you guys know, but oftentimes Christians need to call to mind, and that's that we have such a privilege. There is, there is no really greater privilege in life than being a Christian. There's no better thing to be than to be a follower of Christ. And so if we stop for a, a minute and realize really the indescribable joy that is in being a Christian. We who were dead in trespasses and sins have been saved from the consequences of those sins. Now, if you stop and think about that for what it is, it's truly incredible. As, as I preached uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 3-5, through 5, I don't know, a couple months ago, that's kind of the thrust that I was getting at, that we have a source of, of joy that the world doesn't have because we are saved. We look back at what Christ has done for us on the cross and we look forward to an eternity where we inherit an imperishable blessing, an imperishable inheritance. And while we're here on the earth, we have innumerable blessings. We have uh, the Holy Spirit. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have constant cause for praise. We have a church family. We get to be together on Sundays. And we love one another. We encourage one another. We live with clear consciences. Yet, simultaneously, we are acutely aware, if you're a Christian, you're acutely aware that the Christian life is not full of roses and flowers and uh, cotton candy. It's, it's tough. Although cotton candy is good. Are acutely aware of the difficulties associated with being followers of Christ, and difficulties that only come to those who are 
followers of Christ. Being a Christian is, is really the greatest joy and the greatest privilege. comes with difficulty. To live the Christian life is to do what Jesus told the disciples. It's to pick up your what? Cross and pick, follow me. You pick up your cross and you follow me. In other words, you die to yourself as a Christian. And that comes, you have the opportunity to, to die to self in multiple, um, in multiple ways. I'm sure you all know that when you sign up to be a Christian, you have not signed up for a life of peace or a life of posting. Following Christ entails a significant amount of difficulty, and there's various sources for that. I would say one is just from the world. We know that as Christians, we are, in some senses, walking around with a target on our back because the world does not love Christians. Remember what... Uh, Remember what Jesus said in John, uh, Matthew chapter 10. He's warning his disciples as he's sending them out. He says, I'm sending you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake. So because of me, because of the fact that you follow me, there's going to be persecution and then 1 John chapter 3, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. If you're a Christian and the world hates you, that should not be a shock to you. That should just be what you accept as you become a Christian. That as you become a Christian or as you are a Christian, you're living the Christian life, the world's going to hate you. So there's that source of pain almost of being a Christian. You have to die to yourself and not seek retribution, all those things. And then Christians additionally have the unrelenting duty as you mo uh, most of you know there's the unrelenting duty of putting off sin and warring with the flesh battling for holiness no christian really gets to take their foot off the gas of of being holy that's what it means to be a christian in part is you're being sanctified it's it's part of being a christian you are continually working to put off sin put on righteousness so this adds another source of, of pressure. You ought to be Christ-like. And then if you are unwilling to fight sin, and we're going to see some of this uh, in, the, in the service today, in worship, the worship service, as I talk about Jonah, if you're unwilling to fight sin, then God will take matters into his own hands. And because you're his child, he will discipline you so that you will not continue on in sin. And then the result of that would be that you have a, 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 the peaceful fruit of righteousness, as uh, Hebrews 12 talks about. The result of the Lord's discipline is that there's peace that comes from your righteousness, from your, really your holiness. So these are not surprising things to hear for most of you. These are sort of just reminders. But what we are going to look at today is something that the Bible repeatedly talks about, especially in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament too. But the Bible repeatedly talks about False teaching, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. And that is mentioned, again, repeatedly. It's not just kind of thrown in there in Matthew 5 or thrown in there or Matthew 7 or 1 John or wherever it's at. There are multiple examples of the prophets or the, excuse me, the, the apostles warning the people of God. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people after you, after your 
theology in, in some sense and your right standing with God. And we'll get into that all that here in a minute. We don't have time to go through all the mentions in the New Testament of false teachers, but let me just give you an idea. Matthew 7, like I mentioned earlier, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then 1 John chapter 2, he says, and you don't have to turn there unless you want to. 1 John chapter 2, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. John is in part writing to this church because he says, hey, there are people who are trying to deceive you. They're trying to mess with your doctrine, mess with your understanding of who Jesus is. They're trying to say he didn't come in the flesh or he's not the son of God. He's not the Christ. And so he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you know what the truth is. I don't want you to be deceived or swayed. He says later on in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Be discerning here. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you need to be discerning. There's a lot of false prophets out there. You need to figure out who's telling the truth and who's not. <coughs> and then we'll come back to this one. Acts chapter 20. Paul is talking here. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, come in among you, not sparing the flock. So there are all these passages that really, passages that essentially say the same thing. Can you guys think of any other passages where it talks about false teachers or wolves in sheep's clothing? There are more. Any, any other come to mind? I think of Romans 16, 17, I think. What's that say? I, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. Yeah, avoid them. Any others? Paul? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, good. There's a, there's a verse in Hosea that I use that corrects a lot of this. It says, uh, like in Hosea chapter 4, 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. That verse is just unbelievable because it goes to the next generation. If you don't do that, if you allow the wolves to come in, then this is the direction in which it's going. Yeah. And it gets to your kids. <laughs> Not good. Yeah, it's a generational impact. Yeah. And I like that it says, it talks about knowledge there. We're going to talk right. about some of that here in a minute. Right. Second John 7, uh, 7 and 8 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ has coming in the flesh. Mm -hmm. This is the deceiver in the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Verse 8, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, for that you may receive a full reward. Yeah. yeah. So you see it repeatedly in the New Testament and Old Testament, like Hosea, yeah. false prophets, these people who are trying to lead away God's people with ideas and things that are not from God. So they're basically saying, hey, you need to look out for these people. There are going to be ideas, false teachings, false teachers that are going to try to allure you. And that goes for us today. 
This is not just a biblical reality. It is a biblical reality, and, and it does apply to biblical times. But there are people today who are going to try to allure you and me, pull us in to their false ideologies, into their own sin. And as Christians, like I said, we just have a target on our back in some sense when it comes to this. And no one, here's something that's important, is that Peter here is warning people for a reason. No one is unsusceptible to this. Now, we'll get into this in a minute. But if you are in Christ, if you are truly a Christian, you're going to, you're not going to be pulled in permanently into these just false ideas, these false, these wicked notions about Christ. But Peter is warning people for a reason because you need to look out for this in your own life. When you hear teaching, when you listen to internet, uh, internet sermons or podcasts, things like that, there are people that are going to try to pull you away. And to some degree, we're all at risk of being taken captive. And so with this in mind, 2 Peter 3, verse 17 through 18, is going to really give you both a warning and a way to prevent being taken away into deceitful teachings. Here's how you stay steadfast in the faith. That's what Peter's going to help you do. Now, in one sense, all of 2 Peter is about this. Not, that's not to say that every verse has false prophets in them, or have false teaching, you know, beware, beware, beware. But if you read 2 Peter, the idea is consistent in all three chapters that there are false teachers and you need to be on guard. And as he's wrapping up the book in that verse 17 through 18, he's saying, here's what you need to do. I've given you a lot of information. Here's what you need to do. So the first thing you need to do is in verse 17. There are really two crucial steps here to guarding yourself from spiritual calamity. Or if you want to say apostasy. Here are two crucial steps. Number one, you need to recognize the danger that is there. So, verse 17, let me read it again. It says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Know this, be on your guard. So that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Now listen, Peter, like I said, spills a lot of ink in 2 Peter about this threat, about what we need to be aware of. Really, if you, if you think about it this way, you therefore, knowing this beforehand, knowing what beforehand? Well, what precedes? In some ways, what immediately precedes, these people who are going to twist the writings of Paul, uh, talk about the day of the Lord as, you know, not coming, or really, you could almost extend it out to all of Second Peter, these false prophets are here. So knowing that these pro false prophets are here, we need to be on guard. So while we're here in Second Peter, let's take a quick tour through Second Peter. I want to really narrow in mostly on chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 1, he's really just exhorting, there's introduction, and he's, he's exhorting these believers and reminding them to be diligent to grow. Diligent to set their minds on growing in godliness, growing in their holiness. And then chapter 2, he gives really a sort of a comprehensive sketch of these false prophets he's talking about. I'll tell you, I read this a couple of years ago when I was living in Kansas City, and it just shook me. 
that at the level of detail that he goes into to, to describe these people who are going to come and try to lead away many. So really what I want to do is I want to read all of chapter 2. So just follow along as I read it. Take note of how he describes these people who he's talking about. Take, take note. We can talk about it afterwards. I'll, I'll back up to verse, uh, verse 19 to kind of roll into chapter 2. Verse 19 says, so, uh, chapter 1, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Verse 1 of chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then, so if all those things, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. <laughs> Daring self-willed, talking about these false prophets, they do not tremble when they revile an angelic majesties, where, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, <coughs> reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are saints. Uh, hold on. Not saints. Stains. Quite, quite the opposite. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the, vo with the voice of the man, restraining the madness of the prophet. These, these, these men, these false prophets, are springs 
without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out of arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It, ha it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a so after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. And then he continues on in chapter 3. Just talking about the day of the Lord and those who are going to mock what we believe. We believe Christ is coming back and there's going to be those, there's going to be mockers who, who say, that's not going to happen. Where is he? And he says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then in our section, immediately preceding our passage, he says, Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him. Talking about the day of the Lord. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So there's these men who are also going to twist scripture. Notice how he uh, likens Paul's writings to scripture. Interesting side note there. So having read chapter 2, what are some common things? How would you just, based off what we read there, how would you identify these guys? What, what, these false prophets, these false teachers who are in the world, what are some things that you see as traits almost of, or characteristics of these guys? Balaam made a market out of his own gift and led people astray through it all the way to the end, even though God <coughs> talked to him. <laughs> yeah. He really messed it, you know what I mean? In the yeah. day of judgment, this will be terrible for him. Absolutely. That's one thing I picked up. Is It's yeah. very obvious these people will be judged. Yeah. Didn't he say uh, the blackness of, what did, what, what did it say? Um, black darkness. Yeah, the black darkness. As if darkness wasn't already black enough. <laughs> yeah. Black darkness. <laughs> yeah. That's what's reserved for those who try to lead away God's people and, in some senses, do persuade many who are perhaps not uh, truly Christians. Any other thoughts? What, what other observations? They're mostly deceivers in every every aspect of what they're saying. It's designed to deceive. Yeah, yeah. So they're characterized by looking one way and deceiving and going another, teaching another way. In fact, they're going to fit right in. They're in sheep's clothing. That's kind of what the deception is. They're in sheep's clothing. They're going to fit right in for a while. 
possibly, with you and I, but they're truly wolves. They're going to deceive many. They're going to lead by their teachings many away. You see over and over again of their sensuality. Yeah. That's interesting. You see that creeping into the church where all of a sudden LGBTQ is like, okay. Yeah. No, that's a... That's one of the observations I had. They are marked by their sensuality. Yeah. My uh, fiance is a funeral director up in Lincoln, and she went did a funeral at a Presbyterian church two weeks ago, and their minister is a married lesbian. No. We'll talk about this in a second, because it's in our passage, too. We talked about unprincipled men. Yeah, any other thoughts before I move on? I think being a bond servant to sin, you know, it says they were enslaved, you know, we have a choice, it's very clear biblically, whether we're bond servants to the Lord or bond servants to sin, it's very black and white. True. Essentially, there's two groups in the world, there are those who serve Christ, or they serve sin, they serve themselves, yeah. So it says that they don't tremble, mm-hmm. yeah. so the consequences of their sin doesn't really matter to them. No, they're... Yeah, they're very free in their sin. I think it's interesting in verse 21, it says, for they, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. So they knew, and yet they're twisting it. It's not just that they're evil, yeah. but they knew. I mean, that's even worse. Does that remind anyone of Hebrews chapter 6? There's a level of, they, they've, and they, listen, that's a, <laughs> kind of one of those things where people will point to and say, well, they look, they were, they were saved, and then they lost their salvation. I don't think that's true. They wouldn't believe that. But there is, a, there is a sense in which they did taste, they did have a taste of um, the goodness of the Lord. They, they knew the ways of the Lord. They, they knew good theology, possibly. And yet they turned away. And it's almost, their judgment will be worse. I would say their judgment is worse than perhaps just an everyday unbeliever. Because they knew the truth. And they turned their back on the truth. As revealed by scripture and God's prophets and apostles. So, a lot of good observations there. So, as Peter here is wrapping up Second Peter... He says there, he says, you therefore, talking to this body of believers, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so people who are not only going to twist scripture, but knowing that there are people after you, and here's how they look, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. He says, being on your guard. I just gave you a lengthy description of these false teachers. I just told you what they're going to do, who they're going to be. They're going to be lovers of self. They're going to be lovers of their own sin. And they're going to be marked by their sensuality. They're going to be morally bankrupt. So with this in your mind, because you know all this, what? Be on your guard. And that's his admonition to, to, to close out this letter. Be on your guard. This is... Imperative. Well, why? Why be on your guard? He says here, for what purpose do you need to be on guard? So that you are not uh, carried away by, so by means of the error of 
unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. He's afraid that you're going to lose your own steadfastness. Now, this raises some questions. All right? Are you saying, Aaron, that we can lose our salvation? I'm not saying that. I believe in eternal security. From the moment you're saved into eternity, you are God's. You didn't get your salvation. You didn't earn your salvation, so you're not going to lose it. But we'll talk more kind of on my stance on this, and I want to hear your thoughts too. But he is saying he's concerned about your steadfastness. Because before you know it, you will find yourself veering slowly. You will find yourself often left, left field doctrinally and spiritually. And, and many of us don't view ourselves as being susceptible to this. We don't think ourselves susceptible. We're good. We won't end up in wacko land. Uh, yet the, yet the, the steadfasting faith don't wake up and decide to lose their spiritual stability. Go ahead. How do we keep on guard? It says be on guard. How do you keep I'm going to show you. Okay. I'm going to show you. It does happen. Have you guys seen anyone that this passage, passage can describe? I'm sure if you've been in the faith some, uh, for, for some length of time, you've seen people who, you would swear they were Christians. You, were, yeah. you would swear they followed the truth. They loved God. They loved God's word. They had good doctrine. But slowly, before you know it, they're over here. And they're saying some weird things. And they're maybe even saying some things about Christ that are not true. Yeah. This being on guard, mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to think we are discerning. Sometimes people judge us for our discernment as criticalness. And I realize when you get out of our circles, we don't have perfect sermons like we do here. One <laughs> <laughs> we'll have here in another hour or so. You're talking about Rod. <laughs> but it, 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 is, uh, it is discernment that is what causes us to be on guard. Yeah. And what the world is saying, oh, you're just being judgmental and you're being critical and you have to be able to sort out uh, what's blowing. It's the shades of gray that, that trick us. And yeah. when we hear, oh, we're going to have a Christian commercial on the Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> and then you see it and people are all excited. Oh, Christian commercial. Well, is it? Yeah. You have to be discerning. I mean, that's what that's what First John is saying. Uh, chapter 4, he says, you need to test the spirits. That's what he's essentially saying. You need to be discerning. You need to be on your guard. In other words, has anyone talked about... Oh, good. I think that, adding on to what Jeff just said, I think the first time that I heard that, that they were going to have that on the... He gets I us. thought, this is really odd that they're going to have... I mean, the world hates Jesus. They're taking him out of everywhere. And now they're going to allow him on the biggest stage. Something isn't right here. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can almost already right. tell. I mean, it's like, like yeah. it's going to be watered down. Or it's yeah, gonna be wrong. I mean, something's not going to be right with yeah. it. You know that, right? Yeah. Have you guys heard of the revival going on? The, the revival going on in Asbury? Yeah. Listen, I... Yeah, well, I heard someone say false revival. Um, listen... The more you find out about it, the more you're realizing that there has been no gospel preached there. Listen, I'll, I'll say this first of all, that 
Christians, as Christians, we welcome real moves of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can move in a, in, in a revival-like fashion. We know that. We accept that. But we're not going to, number one, there has been really no evidence of the gospel having been preached at all there or proclaimed there. And if I've seen anything, and I love singing, but it's just been worship. And that's great. I hope that they're worshiping, but I'm learning more things about who's leading worship. I'm learning that there are active homosexuals leading worship. Okay? So you've got to be discerning. A lot of the Christian, if you're on Twitter, and I try to stay off Twitter, because you hear a lot of wacko ideas, but, but a large swath of the Christian community has just accepted this as, well, this is a work of God. Well, we'll see. But the more you learn about it, it doesn't look like it. And you know how you'll know if it's a revival is not if people are crying and kneeling down, but it's going to show itself in repentance. Genuine, humble repentance before the living God. That's how it's going to show itself. So you have to be on your guard. You don't just take everything, every teaching that's offered out there. Um, so how do you find yourself there? Well, look at verse 17. Here's why I, here's why I liked the other version. As I, I hate saying, like, those I studied the Greek, I came to this conclusion. I hate being like that. But as I translated it myself, I really found myself liking how the LSB puts it. How do you find yourself there? Verse 17. Having been carried away or being carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Well, you start accepting everything. You start hearing these deceiving arguments, these things that sound good, but the truth is, is they're actually erroneous. They're in error. And notice who carry, who, who propagates these errors. Unprincipled men. Didn't we see that in chapter 2? They love their sensuality. They love their sin. I've seen many, even in my past couple of years, you see these health and wealth, prosperity teachers get caught in adultery. It's been happening for a long time. They, they're marked by sensuality. Lines up perfectly. Go ahead. He just looked like Islam, Muhammad. Yeah. He was a very, uh, not very good man, morally. Yeah. You know. Um, They'll know him by their fruits. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and just see that. You just see how they suppress the truth because they know the truth. When yeah. we were in Jerusalem at the Eastern Gate, they sealed that off, and there's a Muslim cemetery right there, so that they know. Christ is coming, but they sealed it off so that he couldn't come in I've, physically. I've yeah. You know, but they know the truth, but they suppress the truth. They suppress it, yeah. yeah. So, essentially, what you have here is that there are no such there's no such thing as unmanned ideas. You see, yeah. it's just like an aircraft. You see an aircraft flying through the sky. There's no unmanned aircraft. Let's hope there's no unmanned aircraft. Someone's flying that plane. Someone's flying these ideas. Someone's propagating these things, and they're unprincipled men. That's what often characterizes false teachers as their morality. Uh, Aaron? Yeah. Um, Jesus talked about those when he talked to the Pharisees that way. They were leading people astray. So what he says is, you yourself will not come into the kingdom. 
but you also lead others away from the kingdom, which makes you a two-time minister of hell. That's what he tells them. So that really puts it down correctly when you lead others astray. It's bad enough if you don't want it. But then when you lead somebody else away yet from it, now you, that's a double whammy. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So this is what's going on yeah. in our whole society. That's what goes on in the media. Yeah. The media don't want you to know what's truth. They want you to believe what they want you to believe, mm -hmm. which is not the truth. You know. well, so an even simpler yeah. level too. Like there's TikTok, you know, and it can be fun and whatever. But there's a lot of um, there's like a lot of churches that are coming up that are definitely cult-like dynamics, yeah. and they're speaking to the young kids and talking about um, all of these worship services and creating themselves as false idols before these kids. And yeah. so mm -hmm. it just, even like promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption yeah. um, and are enslaved, you know, it's, it's just devastating. And so being on guard as parents and teachers and all of that and knowing it looks really popular and nice, you have to be so aware. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? That's, I'm telling you, the chapter two is just, he's just descriptive. He just hits the nail on the head. How many times have you heard a health and wealth prosperity teacher promise people freedom if they give more? If they do X, Y, Z, here's how you get free. Yet they themselves are slaves, aren't they? So I need to keep moving because there's still one more verse. Um, <laughs> thanks for the input. And, I, and here's what I'll say. Why does that characterize false teachers? And I think a lot of, a lot of the, there are probably many reasons. I think that they want you to, to follow. They, they're indulging their flesh and they are trying to get you to indulge your flesh. Perhaps it's a, I want you to make me feel less bad about myself. There's probably a, a number of reasons why. It could be financially motivated. It could be power um, that they are seeking. Now, here's, here's what I'll say. The question is, is Peter warning us against apostasy, or is he warning Christians against warning, uh, veering off briefly? I think if you think about I, I have a position where I think he's probably at. But either one, I, I think the answer is yes. Um, here, here's what else. I wrestled through this because I'm thinking, okay, if they're in Christ, why is he warning this, these people who he believes are in Christ, who are actually Christians, from falling off their own steadfastness? Does this mean, okay, they're going to turn their back on the Lord and deny him altogether, i.e. apostasy? Or is this a temporary getting off track? I think either way, be aware, be on guard. He, he commands it. So either way, be aware. But here's, here's something that I would say. I'm going to read straight out of a commentary that I thought was very helpful on this. It says, all that Peter had written, all that he had warned them of, was so that they would be vigilant. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the New Testament, we are told that the Lord will guard those who are his, ensuring that they will not fall away irretrievably. We believe that. 
Such promises, however, should never cancel out the injunction to watch ourselves so that we do not apostatize. And in this latter thought is precisely what Peter relayed here. He desired his readers to be on guard so that you may not fall from your secure position. Uh, the word fall refers to apostasy, to departing from the Christian faith. Peter had clarified in the entire letter that those who fall away, like the teachers, are destined for eternal destruction. Believers maintain their secure position. Here's kind of the key, for, key uh, sentence, I think. Here's where I would land. Believers maintain their secure position by heeding warnings, not by ignoring them. He goes on to give an illustration that I was very from. But then he goes on. It says, paying attention to warnings does not quench confidence, but it is a means to it. Those who are, this is further on, those who are on their guard will not fall from their secure position, while those who are careless are apt to slip away because they ignored warning signals. So here's what I would say. I, those who are truly in Christ heed these warnings. They, they, they test the scriptures. Now, it doesn't, that doesn't say that if you're truly in Christ, you won't have some... I mean, we all have to admit, at some level, we probably have wrong thoughts about God. At some level. But that's different than saying, uh, or having an altogether different view of the gospel. Does that make sense? You see the distinction? We're, we're all fallen. We all probably have things or thoughts about God that are not completely true. But that's different than these people over here who are denying the gospel, denying Christ. Um, and I would say if you look at Second uh, Peter as a whole, the idea here is heed these because in your heeding, that is really proof that you are a Christian. Look at a Look very quickly back to chapter 1. I'll just show you real quick. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I'll give you two examples. Oh, oh there we go. Verse 10. Chapter 1. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. Be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So as long as you practice these things that he listed out beforehand, kindness, uh, love, um, moral excellence, knowledge, moral character, all those things, you practice those, you heed these warnings, uh, and heed my warning, that's going to be the sign that you're a Christian, and non-Christians will not heed these warnings. They will simply... Followed their own desires. They're not going to. They're not going to heed any sort of warning. So those are my cards. But either way, like my my thought is to fall from your own steadfastness. Here is not just simply a Christian uh, for a temporary amount of time, a short amount of time, falling from uh, good doctrine and then coming back. I would say this is flat out apostasy. So heed these warnings. Those who are in Christ will heed these warnings. That's, that's my position. But either way, he's telling you to be on guard. Now, verse 18. I'm going to go through verse 18 here. It says, be on guard. You need to know the danger. And then next, you need to know the preventative. So, Brian, here's where your question is answered. Verse 18. So, be on guard. So that you're not 
carried away from error, uh, the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter doesn't just give us a warning, but he gives us the means by which we can guard ourselves. We've seen people fall. We've seen people apostatize before. It reminds me of um, driving to Kansas City back in the fall. I remember every, <laughs> it seems like every 10 miles I would see another deer that had been hit on the side of the road. I'm like, oh, don't let it be me. I don't want, like, not being hit, but hitting a deer. Um, I don't want to get hit either, but um, how, how do you, how do you keep from being a casualty of this? Um, here's what Peter says. He says, grow. And grow in really two spheres, two areas. Number one, grow in grace. Okay, so what does it mean to grow in grace? Any ideas here? If, you, if you've ever heard this, what does it mean? It's like, grow in grace. Kind of difficult think about. It's very uh, theoretical almost, or it's very uh, abstract almost. Because we I think, think of... Like, like what Paul said in Ephesians, um, grow in the great, I mean, uh, work out your salvation. Okay. Fear and trembling. Work it out. Mm -hmm. Work out what you've been learning. You know, yeah. Practice what you're learning. Yeah, I, don't think you, I don't think you're far off. I think we typically think of grace as something that we, that happens to us. We've been the object of grace, but we don't necessarily think that we are to grow in grace or that's something we can actively do. Peter apparently thinks otherwise. He apparently says, uh, or apparently thinks that you can grow in grace. And I've wrestled through this, and I think uh, there's a guy named D. Edmund Hebert. I think he has an insightful way to view what this means. How do we grow in grace? Well, here's what he says about this passage. Grace has its usual meaning of the free and unmerited favor of God bestowed upon guilty man in and through Jesus Christ. One appropriates it and enters into it by faith. As believers, we grow in grace as we apprehend it with an ever-increasing faith and keep it. And thus we are privileged to enjoy it more and more richly. This promotes an ever-increasing development of divine grace manifested in our life and character. That's kind of what you're saying. Here's my understanding of it. You need to grow, and through knowledge, and we'll get to that in a second, but you need to grow in your apprehension of God's grace towards you. And a, a, a growing appreciation of the mercy that has been exhibited towards you. And doesn't, doesn't striving for Christ-likeness require grace yeah. as well? This is how you grow. I mean, the older I get, I think you guys can probably attest to this, the older I get, the more I understand about Christ, the more I see the ugliness of sinful men, I see the ugliness of my own sin, my own heart, the stronger my love for God's grace is in my life. As you grow as a Christian, we should be growing in both our apprehension and experience of God's grace. It's an all-encompassing grace. Grow in grace. That's what this means. 
And this partly happens, the, the way that you begin to really apprehend this is by the next thing he says, in growing grace and growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do you combat? How do you combat being seduced by false teachings? How do you combat being allured? <clears throat> knowledge. You need to feed your mind. There is no Bible verse on spiritual, dis uh, on, uh, let's say, quiet times in the morning. All right, can I just confess that I don't think, there's no sort of Jesus saying, you need to get up at 5 a.m. and have an hour-long quiet time. But this is pretty close. Because only by that will you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how do you, how do you get out of the way of these false teachers? How do, you, how do you be concerned, or how are you discerned? I can't, English is hard. How do you be discerning? How are you, that's a tough, I'm gonna have to work that out later. How are you discerning? How do you get to the point where you are discerning? Correctly, right doctrine from heresy, and that's you guard your mind, what gets into it and what you're feeding it. Um, I was going to read another passage, but it seems I'm out of time. So, here's the way that you stay on track, just consistently growing in your knowledge of Christ. Um, how, here's how I really say it, the end of it. I'll just point out that the goal of this is God's glory. That you would be on track, that you would stay in line with correct teaching, correct doctrine, you grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So right now, all the way until when Christ returns to call Christians home. That's kind of the goal of all this. To him be the glory forever. Any other last thoughts about this? Burning comments. <laughs> Jeff, nothing really. Grow up. <laughs> Keep growing. I think 2 Corinthians 10.5 is helpful. I'll just read it quick. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey yeah. Christ. That's right. That's great. All right, I'm going to let that end Sunday school. Let me just pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that by it we can be warned and we can be exhorted to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus so that we are not so that we are not carried away by error and falling from our own steadfastness. Thank you for your word. I pray that as we go into the worship service that you would shine brightly and that you would be glorified. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.